Good morning. Good afternoon and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know why I almost forgot to say good something. Um, I'm Jake Mathis, and this is from Bob's office. It is currently Thursday, June 4th. I almost said 1997, but it's not that. <laughs> it's 2020. Um, yeah, welcome to From Bob's Office. I'm joined with my normal co-host. I'm Jacob Bomber. Were, were you resorting to 97 because of your birth year? I don't know what was like, going through my cause, mind. Because tomorrow's your birthday, so like you just automatically go June 5th, See, I didn't want to tell so people because... that until later, but it is my okay. birthday Ignore tomorrow. Thanks that. for bringing it up. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know why my mind just no, it's fine. completely it, was like, it's a let's completely... just like grab whatever you had to say by the neck and the pants and throw it out the window. <laughs> it's completely rational. Um, so... Today's episode, we are, today is Thursday, June 4th. We are on day 10 or 11 or a million, depending how far back you want to go, of a lot of stuff going on in our world. A lot of important things have been going on, and so we are going to start the show, and we're not quite sure how far it's going to go, but we are going to start the show with talking about current events, talking about um, what has happened in the aftermath of George Floyd in Minnesota, and the ensuing peaceful protests, the ensuing rioting and um, looting, and just everything that has kind of gone on in the last few days, and just having a discussion about it. Um, we do have with us Ian Silva and Khalil Mead, who have been on the show in the past um, individually, so you know them and you know their voices, um, and we're just going to just have a conversation, not so much maybe to try to convince one way or the other, um, but to just bring up stuff that maybe you haven't heard, that maybe we haven't heard, and just have a dialogue about it. Um, and so uh, we're each going to give kind of just an opening of where we're at, and then Khalil is going to help lead us in just our discussion and, and things to think about and where we go from there. Um, so first for me, just my experience over the last 10 days has really been about listening. Um, there were, I've had a lot of conversations in on a lot of different platforms about a lot of stuff that has happened recently. And there have been times when I have made sure to alert to other voices. And there have been times where I have shared my own. And through both, it has become really apparent that this is way more about listening to the people around us than necessarily saying where what we feel, saying what I feel, what my opinion is. And so that has been a really good focus for me. It's been about gathering as much information as possible, no matter what side anybody has fallen on. Um, there is a lot of accessible information to be informed about, to learn more about, to to have a bigger sense of what is going on. So that has been really important for me to try to do that as much as possible. And one of the other biggest ideas is that lived experiences matter. Just because I go through something doesn't mean that I should expect that somebody else has done so and vice versa. So really paying attention to what have individuals been through in their life that determines what they think, what they know, what they believe, and how they react to certain things. So those have been huge for me. My last thought is one of my friends 
in a conversation online posted this paragraph and it doesn't necessarily say everything that I feel. Um, but I do agree with a lot of his premises for how a lot of us should think. And he says, I'm disappointed, disappointed in many ways, disappointed that the issues don't directly affect me. And it makes it so easy to remove myself from the problems at hand or worse, unwittingly part of the problem in doing so. Disappointed that more people I know than I'd have thought are seemingly on the wrong side of history. Disappointed it's so easy to bias numbers, easy to throw out so many unequal counterpoints, and effectively arrest a conversation. Disappointed that it's not widely realized that in many situations, not all opinions and points of view are equal. Disappointed people are phoning it in by doing things like blaming the media. Um, again, each one of those statements you can agree or disagree with, but... I find myself thinking that that is a really good summary of where a lot of us are at in terms of how we feel and how we um, are perceiving things. So that's my opening. Um, Ian, are you prepared? So what I've learned through this whole process is that there are a lot of underlying issues um, with race and different police department culture in throughout the United States. But the one thing I've really realized through this whole thing is that there are changes that need to be made. I've learned of things, things that are wrong, things that have, are wrong and that need to be fixed. What good can come out of these situations? Like there is going to be positive change out of this and how um, this country together moving forward can truly unite and change for the better. Cause this isn't, this isn't only affecting the United States. There's protests all over the world, including in Europe, Canada, but, and so it, this can lead to positive change, not only in the United States, but also in other countries, which I believe, cause I believe that we can find good in every bad situation and through, and through this situation, even though it was a horrendous, horrendous, the act and never, it cannot go unjustified. It needs to, there will be positive change and action through this because of the unity of people and because of how widespread and passionate people are about this. Cool. Jake. So for me, my, one of my core beliefs is trying to love and understand every single person, no matter what their, what their background is, what their views, what their color, what their religion, anything. So to me, I was already pretty open-minded to the fact that there's a lot of issues here in the United States and around the world, really. There's a lot of issues where, where underlined it's human, like human nature is at the, the core of these issues where we want to be better than someone or we view ourselves better as someone instead of loving one another. Um, but really over the last week, I've been able to see in a way, a large amount of unity within not just the 50 States, but there's 18 other nations that are supporting this cause as well and trying to help as much as they can, which is amazing. And I don't believe that this is a sprint. I believe this is a marathon that's going to be taking that, hopefully brings a lot of change and a lot of good over time because nothing's going to get solved right away. That's just not how things work. And it's probably better that things don't happen right away. We need a, a long sought out thing where people are actually putting effort into this and solving problems that have been around for hundreds and thousands of years that 
someone has to be better than someone because of some random thing when on the inside we're all the same and like the one thing that's like as a Christian I'm supposed to love everyone and so it's really hard for me to see all this hate and all this like attacking on people and really like for me it's like I just want to hug people because people are hurt and people shouldn't be hurt man yeah. Khalil so um, I liked what you guys both said about this being a a long deep seated issue that's been going on not just like in the last nine days but in like the last couple hundred years this has been an issue and I think the main reason why it seems like people the main reason why it seems like we're suddenly going through such a change right now here in 2020 is because it's not like this is a new thing. It's more like we're seeing more people finally coming together and realizing that this is a problem. And more the fact that more of these instances of police brutality are being filmed. So now that everybody can see it, not a lot of people have an excuse to stay silent. And so now we're seeing people not only here in the U.S., we're seeing people, like you said, you're seeing people in Canada, you're seeing people like in New Zealand. In the UK, everybody's coming together and finally taking the stand against this thing. We're all asking ourselves, like, where does this come from? And so that kind of, that, that question itself kind of weighed heavily on my heart. You know, me as a young black man, I look at what happened to George Floyd and I realize, like, that is reality for me. That is something that could potentially happen to me. And so I get into this, this sort of mentality of, why is it that we have to face, why is it that this topic is causing so much disillusionment? Why does it seem like what is such a simple issue to me is not so simple for a lot of other people? And so me also knowing kind of in my heart what a couple of those, why a couple of those things happen, it's very hard because there's a lot of different topics. And so sometimes on my own, I'm not able to voice everything that I'm thinking. And so this kind of actually leads me into the fact that I was doing some research you know, and so I actually came across a live stream on Instagram yesterday between Lily Reinhardt and um, I'm not sure what he does, but his name is Emmanuel Acho. And they were both talking about just how we can understand each other. And a lot of the stuff that he brought up was everything that's been on my heart, but voiced in a very easy to understand way. And so it kind of led me to a list of topics. And I'm saying, I think what we need to first talk about is the fact that there's a lack of exposure in the U.S. Um, we're kind of in this, we've kind of been in this period for a very long time where black and white are almost synonymous with like oil and water, as Emmanuel Acho said. It's like a lot of, a lot of white people have not grown up around a lot of black people. And honestly, a lot of black people haven't grown up very much around a lot of white people. And so sometimes it's like what Emmanuel Acho was saying is sometimes it's like a white person may see a black person and can't really decipher whether that is just a person who is going about their day or if that's a threat. And I'm saying in the same way, sometimes I could be walking down the street or I could be in an area just minding my own business and I'll see a white person who is, I, I feel that is looking at me strangely and I don't know whether that's just a person going about their day or if that's somebody who's about to call the police on me for just existing, mm-hmm. you know. And although it can, it can sound ridiculous, that's really what the subconscious thoughts are that are in people's minds. And I think uh, the way that we can, the way that we can combat this is by very simply gaining that exposure. You know, 
Emmanuel Archer was saying that he had visited a friend of his, and they had they had a son who he had pr- practically known that known that kid since that kid was born, and he came by their house to visit them, and the kid didn't want to give him a hug, and so the the father pulled uh, Emmanuel aside later and he said, "Sorry, I'm just not sure if he has if he's seen a black person in a long time." And, you know, he was talking about, they were saying how his wife was, like, mortified. He's like, why would you say that to him? And to be quite honest, that was a good thing that the dad brought that up. Yeah. Because, you know, at such a young age, this kid's already already making that split in his heart between a black man and a white man. He's unable to approach this man. He's, he's unable to feel comfortable in this man because he's not gained that exposure. And that's that being an issue, that being an issue at, like, six years old, is definitely going to be a bigger issue when he's 13 years old mm-hmm. and an even bigger issue when he's 30 years old. That's stuff that doesn't change unless we gain that exposure, unless we start educating each other. And that's why I think um, just the fact that that child's father was able to bring that up in front of this black man, I think that was, that was, a, that was a step in the right direction because it shows that he's aware mm-hmm. of what's happening. You know, um, I think... Uh, the next thing that we can go into is um, actually, you know, instead of that, I kind of wanted to just open that up to you guys. See if you guys had any thoughts about, um, do you guys feel like you also kind of experienced that lack of exposure when you guys were growing up? With, with other races? No. I went to elementary school in Pico Rivera. I played little league baseball in Pico Rivera. So I, it's not that I was around a large group of black people, but I was around a large group of people who didn't necessarily look like me. Like I might've right. been the mi- minority in those situations, but I never thought about it because I did have friends who were white. I did have friends who were black. I did have friends who were Latino. And to me, right. And it's, you know, that's not something I think about on a regular basis because I don't see any of those people anymore. I don't go to Pico Rivera for any reason. I don't have family there. Like my friends from when I was little, we stopped being friends as soon as I moved into Los Alamitos and then Long Beach and started going to school out here. Like I haven't spoken to any of those people in a very long time. Um, so harking back on that is kind of like, oh, wow. Like I, I was very fortunate to be raised in a situation where I was surrounded by people who didn't look like me. And that was easy for it to be normal for me. So, like, I am thankful that I had that experience and that that has helped guided me through how I experience people today. Right. Yeah, for me, I it's kind of the same situation where instead of – I kind of did mix myself – not mix myself sounds kind of bad. But I did kind of be around, like, a whole bunch of other people of color and a whole bunch of – like, I had a lot of friends who weren't – just white. So like I wouldn't say necessarily I was sheltered by that, but more so of cultures because growing up in like a Christian like schools and stuff like that, we don't necessarily see other cultures other than the typical Christian family kind of view. Up right. until I got into like high school or even late middle school, that's when I kind of learned more about other cultures and kind of enjoying them more so than just the typical hamburger Thursday. Um, it's, more so that I was able to, I think my high school experience definitely made it so that I was able to experience not just the goods of everything, but also I got to see what other people had to go through 
and what other people were forced to go through without wanting them to necessarily. Like I've seen people get bullied for being Hispanic or being Asian or being like black. I've seen people getting messed like people getting in fights because of that kind of stuff. And so I don't think I've necessarily been sheltered from it. It's just more so that the older I get, the more I learn of it. And it's better for me, of course, because I, I've been able to learn to enjoy a whole bunch of other things than just right. vanilla. For me, I've come kind of, kind of in the same boat as Bomber, where like I, well, I'm half Mexican because my dad's from Mexico and my mom's from Scotland. So half and half. Um, so I've, of course, grew up around typical Mexican family, big family get togethers. And so I, I love that. I absolutely loved it, but I was, I've also been fortunate to travel across the country a lot. Um, been able to travel to Scotland and I've also been able to travel down to Mexico and Canada. Um, when I was younger and played soccer, played baseball, played football. And so for me, I never really thought of people as different races. I, when I was younger and still mostly to this day, I still just see people as people. I don't stereotype based on, oh, this person's black, so whatever, this person's Mexican or whatever, this person's Asian or whatever. I'm more, the people are people. If they, if their character is bad, then they are a bad person. If their character is good, then they, are a good person. Um, so for me, I've never, it's, it's never really crossed my mind of people being in different races. And so it's just for, for some reason, for me, it's, this is, it's still all very new to me with, um, different race issues in the United States. Cause I never differentiated, um, people by race. And I'm very thankful for my parents for raising me that way and just that seeing as every person as a person and a creation of God. And that's how I was raised. And that's still what I believe to this day. Right. I see. But and I, I like that you guys have shown, cause I know Jake, you went to a pretty large school with like, I, I've seen Los Alamitos. I know that there's like, a, there's a lot of different people there that I've met too, mm-hmm. but I think, um, Something that's, that's kind of curious to me. Do you guys ever find yourselves in these moments where do you find, do you ever catch yourself in a train of thought where you realize like maybe I'm not looking at this person in the right way or like you find that you're, you may be steering conversation in the wrong direction because of how they look? Cause I think that's something that a lot of people can be guilty of. Like I can even find myself. Being, yeah. My immediate thought, of race. my immediate thought would probably be yes, that it does happen and yeah, immediately, yeah, it does happen, and it's unfortunate that it does for some reason that your brain, my brain just immediately will go to that, but I try not to kind of, like, let that be the one thing, though, in a conversation. Yeah. I try to... Kind of catch yourself? Yeah, I well, yeah, I think, I think before I, I was pretty bad at that. But after like a few years of not years, after a while of being able to kind of mature and realize what I have and the issues that could come from stuff like that, that I have kind of forced myself away from that. And I try to, I try to connect with people more so of what we have in common than anything else really. I, that's my main try to focus, even though 
Sometimes you do slip, though, and sadly, I think that's part of human nature. When when people say, I don't see color, it's a really admirable ideal. Like, that is, like, so, you know, Ian saying that, that's awesome that you have grown up, and, like, I feel like I can get behind that idea, too. That, like, I when I meet people, the first thing I think isn't, oh, that person's black, oh, that person's Asian, oh, that person's Mexican, and have that guide me. Like, I see them as, you are a person, you are a person, you as a person. And hopefully, based on my faith, I'm seeing them as, you are a person of God. You, like, you're a creation of God, you're a creation of God. Right? That's the ideal. And that is a great place to be in, to feel like you treat everybody as a person for who they are, and you can move on. And that's awesome. The problem is it doesn't let you recognize the things that make those people different right. in terms of their life experience based on being that way. So in terms of how you treat them, yes, you should not see color based on how you treat them. You should see color based on how you understand them. Because if I don't see Khalil as a black man, then I am not putting importance on his experience as a black man. And that is a very important part of who he is. The interactions he has had, the experience he has gone through, how people have reacted to him and treated him, that is incredibly important in me understanding who Khalil is. If I ignore that and say Khalil is a human being and a creation of God, and that is all that matters then that influences how I see him, but it doesn't help me connect with who he is based on his life. So again, I think the idea of I don't see color is a really great ideal and is a great way for us to analyze how we interact with people, but seeing color helps us understand others more. Right. And I also think um, that's exactly that's exactly the point that I think people need to understand. I think that also leads us into what we like a big topic people don't like to discuss is white privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, people can hear the phrase white privilege and then the room goes silent. Or I think the, one of the worst reactions you can get as a person trying to describe that to people is the eye roll. So, you know, it's something it's something that people really don't want to hear. And I, I understand it's it's a sense of shame that comes with it. And people don't almost don't want to, they almost just don't want, they want to just pretend that it doesn't exist. Like they want to, they, they refuse to engage with it. And so in their mind, they decide that they come up with these counter arguments that don't necessarily always make sense in order to, I think, kind of block the burden of having to analyze what that really means. And, um, hopefully we can go into that. There's, I actually have, I have a lot to say about that because what's been really disappointing to me Right now is that, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm active on Instagram. I'm active on Twitter and, you know, I've met a lot of different people and I follow a lot of different people and I tend to follow people who I don't even necessarily consider close to, but people that I've existed with in communities where, let me be more specific. So I went to a private Christian high school, right? And at these private institutions, you know, they're known for upholding these certain values. 
And so everybody under that is held to a certain standard. And so sometimes I'm seeing these people who I've, I've been on, I've been on teams with, I've competed with these people, you know, these are people that I've considered brothers and sisters on the track team and worship teams. And then I'll see them posting things on, on Instagram that are kind of against this whole movement. And it's, it's almost disappointing, you know, like they'll say, Oh, does white privilege exist? And then we'll post like all these statistics and facts that aren't even necessarily really synonymous with what the cause actually is. Like it's not, those are not things that prove against it. Those are just things that are distracting to other, to other topics. And so I think what would be really helpful is for me to kind of explain, because a big thing we hear is systemic racism. You know, we hear that phrase a lot and people are always going to say, what are those systems? And I think it's, it's hard for a person to know because it, it goes back so far and it's not taught in history books. So you really have to do the research on your own. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of went and I figured out is a big topic in this, in this uh, conversation is something called generational wealth. You know, back in the late 1800s and early 1900s when slavery had just ended, a lot of banks were starting to grow and they were offering out loans and starting people's credit so they could go and buy houses. At this time, these loans and this credit was not available to black people, you know. And so the main people who were getting these loans and this help was just mainly white families. And over time, they used that money to buy property, buy real estate, start businesses. And this generated wealth for their descendants and the people that come down to it now. And so when people are saying that you benefit from white privilege now, it's not saying that your life hasn't been hard. It's just saying your skin color hasn't contrib- is not contributed to the reason why it's harder. Like a lot of people, a lot of white people own businesses now. And I'm not saying that other colors don't own businesses, but a lot of times we talk about old money. You know, a lot of this money has come from generations of people who have produced it for you. And so a lot of black people are kind of still at the, at the, the bottom line. They're still at the slate. You know, they're kind of starting from sticks and stones and they don't, they kind of, it's almost like a, a lot of people describe it as a race where everybody, not everybody starts at the front line. Mm-hmm. They describe it as a race where other people of color are held at the, held at the start and white people are given these advantages, you know. And although I think that's hard for a lot of people to hear, I think what we can, where we can really find reconciliation in this is first people accepting that it exists and instead of trying to offer arguments against it, just kind of have these discussions as to why people feel the way that they feel. If um, if the visual is hard for you just listening, I would encourage you to look up look up videos of people asking questions about white privilege in that like Khalil's talking about this race and starting behind. There have been a lot of really good videos posted, a lot of good physical representations of what that looks like in terms of asking questions about yourself that would be true for a black person that wouldn't necessarily be true for a white person making a large generalization. Um, And some of those examples are like growing up in a home without a father and growing up um, in like having access to a private education. And um, I mean, obviously that goes either way. Sorry. Um, And, you know, there, it's just a bunch of that stuff where each one is its own little thing. But when one person, like as a white person, if I can say yes to I have 
had all of this stuff for me eight times and a black person says only like yes to one or two of those each individual one is its own disadvantage and when it gets stacked that makes it even more difficult um, and these videos and things do a really good job of showing that way better than I horribly explain that right now but so as as you're listening if you hear what Khalil's saying and you're not quite sure what that looks like I encourage you to look up there are a lot of videos um, that help explain it really really well thanks and I think this um I think this is a this is kind of the historical when people talk about systemic racism I think this is what's being referred to I think specifically you can you can put in that argument about generational wealth, but I think it, I think it comes down to even more simplistic and things that are applicable today, where it's just the fact that like I've been on. There was a couple years ago where I was just going around biking and I was just riding around on my bike with a friend, and we were we were just riding through the park, and I remember we're just we're just having the we're just enjoying our day you know we weren't doing anything too specific and we just stopped for one moment we were just talking and then this lady by this lake just calls out to to my friend she says hey you be careful around him and we're wondering what she's talking about and she's just yelling out all these things and she's like you just be careful around him and she's and then she really came and she said you be careful around him because i had a friend who was raped by a black man he might do the same to you yeah and where did that come from? They came from absolutely nothing. Yeah. She had not, she had not seen me once before. She had not met me before. She didn't even know my name. She doesn't know anything about me. But that was the first thing that was in her head when she looked at this. Mm-hmm. You know. And I'm and the, the 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 big question is where does this come from? You're not born with that in your mind. She was taught that from somebody. You know. Yeah. People take people take their hurt and they let it out in different ways. You know, that, that, that's even a way you could describe the, the rioting and the looting. You know, a lot of people are talking about how they're very upset about the looting and they're very upset about the rioting, but they're forgetting where it comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, people are very, people are very quick to talk about how they, how much they dislike the looting and how much it's, and how much it's making, uh, everybody look bad, but then they're going to be totally silent about the many times police have used an excessive amount of force. And it, a lot of times it's just disappointing for me to hear that people people are fired up for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, a lot of times. And I think um maybe I'm getting a little bit away from white privilege, but this is kind of which is what is just on my heart and this is from what I see what I've been seeing lately, you know, with a lot of people showing I find that a lot of people are showing their true colors now. You know, and it's really making you wonder, it's really making you think, you know, who is who is actually for me. Like if it were me if it were me, if I were the person on that street with Derek Chauvin's knee on my neck, I want to know who would be standing up to me mm. you know, out of my close personal circles. Like, I want to know what people would say. I want to know if people would still have these same opinions if it were me in that video. Yeah. Yeah, it's really easy for us here to be distanced from it because that was in Minnesota. That's 2,000 miles away. Yeah. What, yeah. um, I mean, we were talking about white privilege, and I, 
an example of what you can do to help yourself in these situations is to inform yourself. I bought a book on Kindle called White Fragility that is about this idea, the idea that white privilege exists and why that idea is such a threat to white people and why it's so easy to be offended by that idea or why it's so easy to get defensive about that idea. And and the book, I mean, I'm only one chapter in, so I have a lot to learn. Um, but it's a really good look at why do we react so negatively to the idea that white privilege even exists. Um, and so that idea is is super important. And I just wanted to touch on really quick, depending wherever the rest of the conversation goes, the idea of the rioting and the looting and that stuff. Um, my One of my really good friends, Lindsay, he is also a black man that lives in the area. And he recently put up his own podcast reacting to things. And in it, one of his points was in reference to specifically the rioting and looting. And he said, there's a big difference between stealing and burning stuff down. He's like, I don't understand stealing. It's like, I'm, I wouldn't be somebody that has the feeling like, I'm mad, so I'm going to take something that doesn't belong to me, and I'm going to take it and own it myself. Like, that idea is kind of weird um, to him. But he said, I do understand the feeling of wanting to burn something to the ground. I do understand what it feels like to be so angry and frustrated and upset and disappointed that all I want to do is see something go down in flames. Like that he could relate to. And so does that make it right? That's to each of your own, you know, thoughts. But, you know, we all have things that spark emotions in us. And we all have ways of letting that emotion come out, whether it's just yelling at the top of our lungs, whether it's punching a hole in the wall, whether it's setting something on fire. We all have a breaking point that we have some kind of outward physical reaction to all of this pent-up rage and emotion. And so to say that somebody shouldn't be reacting in this way, um, it's really hard like, we would all react negatively if we had some kind of physical outburst and somebody said, hey, you don't get to act that way. I don't care what you're feeling. That isn't right. We wouldn't appreciate that being thrown in our face. And so, again, that isn't to say that the stealing is right, that the looting, that all that, because it's, it's assumed that that is a very different group of people that are taking advantage of an opportunity in some cases. But in terms of setting buildings on fire, like, again, I don't have to think it's right, but that doesn't mean I don't have to agree with the emotion behind it. Um, right. And if I, if I can add something right yeah, there, too, you. Um, that's a really good point that you make because I think what people, people keep talking about how, you know, I'm perfect. People will say, I'm perfectly okay with them peacefully processing. When you're beginning to write and loot, and break your community, that's when I have a problem. I'm like, but really think about it like this. From the 1960s, when Dr. King was going and marching peacefully, he still was shot at the end of all that. You know, he was still shot in the end. In 2000s, writing, the peaceful writing still didn't work. You know, the peaceful protesting still hasn't worked. Um, 
another thing Emmanuel Acho said is like he he described it, uh, the analogy as a as a bike collision. You know, he was saying that he was going down a biking path, and at 20 meters he saw a girl in front of him who had her her earbuds in, and so he said on your left, and he made sure to say loud enough so she could hear. She still didn't hear him. At 10 meters he said on your left. She still didn't hear him. At five meters he said it again, and she still didn't hear him. Eventually he came up next to her, and they collided. And I think 2020 is that is that collision because in the 1960s we said we're being oppressed, and people didn't listen. In the early 2000s, people said we're being oppressed, and they still didn't listen. And now here in 2020, when somebody finally picked up their phone and recorded what happened to George Floyd, we're now at that point where we reached that collision, you know. And so I think it's it's almost frustrating when people are people are extremely open, and have, I'm very opinionative about how they feel about the rioting how they find that it's annoying because, you know, now they can't get around the town. So you need to understand where these emotions are coming from. So like you said, I think, I just, I agree that, I just agree that you shouldn't really be trying to tell people how to react when, imagine how it feels to be bottled in and brought down to your, your very core. Like this is a very raw feeling that people are experiencing right now. They feel that their voices aren't being heard. So what are they resorting to? Resorting to action. That feeling of wanting to burn down a building is exactly how black people have felt for a very long time. Peaceful protests has not worked. Being loud has not worked. So where does that leave us? That's essentially where we are today. I have a question. Um, do you believe that because it is 2020 and we have the social media and stuff like that, is that, do you think that's why it's happening now is that we can actually share our thoughts without, without like being monitored and stuff like that where we can actually show people every day what happens? I think social media is helping a lot. You know, um, like I've said before, it's not like racism hasn't existed to this degree. It's just mm-hmm. now that people are picking up their phones and recording it. You know, um, like people, like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, the black man that was jogging, I don't remember what state it was. Georgia. He was jogging and these two men just decided to take the laws into their own hands and they just shot him there on sight. Nothing happened justice. Those men walked free for the two months until the security footage finally came out and saw what had happened, you know? So it makes you really wonder what about, the millions of times that it's happened before in these last couple years when people weren't there and recording. You know? So I think that's why um, social media is very, very helpful right now because people are finally able to see things on a mass basis. Nothing's being hidden. I mean, yeah, the same thing happened with Rodney King in 1992. That, like, the reaction to that is, the reaction that I heard somebody give to that was, this stuff goes on all the time. Like, finally, just somebody got it on video so the rest of the world could see it. Yeah. And that's, that's where we're at. Video matters. Right. And a major a major thing that I think is also enraging a lot of people is that it's not even like this is the first time it was recorded, but it's the fact that when you watch the video, that police officer is looking right into the camera. He's looking right at you. You know, like, and what people really got from that is like, this is, this is America. This is what's been happening to us for ages. And it's just, it's devastating that people are still arguing on the wrong side of history right now with the wrong, the wrong mindsets. And it's like, I just, 
I try to encourage everybody, make sure you're on the right side of history right now. Um, you know, I think the good thing to bring up too is something, something that I've just been seeing recently is that uh, people are saying, people are showing statistics like there's more, there's more black on black crime than there is white on black crime. You know, people are asking why is it that black people are more vocal about white on black crime than black on black crime. And I think, I don't think it's that we're more vocal about it. I think it's that when black people are accused of a crime, when black people are brought in for a crime, they are tried to the highest extent that they can mm. be. You know, even sometimes when the stuff that they didn't do, you know, like the, uh, a long time ago was the, 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 the whole thing with the Central Park Five. You know, those five boys who were arrested and charged for raping a, raping a white woman who was jogging through Central Park and there was no evidence against them. There was people to corroborate that they were not there, people to show that they were not there. But they were still sent to prison for, for I think, was it like up to 15 years? And the person finally came out later. These people were charged for something that they couldn't even find evidence on, evidence of them on. And look how long it's taking right now. Look how long it's taken for you know, for the I don't even, I don't even know who it is that charges them. But look how long it's been it's taken for those four police officers to be charged. It's like they're very hesitant to put on the same punishment on white people, and that's why we feel that the white on black crime is more it's really what the root of the problem is right now. It's the fact that it's just it's people are being just given a simple slap on the wrist for things that like if, if a black man were to commit this crime, he could expect to be in prison for what might be the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. The other side of like people always bringing up black on black crime. How many times have you ever heard the phrase white on white crime? Right. You don't because it's a moot point. Do 85% of black people get murdered by other black people? Yeah. 81% of white people, of murdered white people, are killed by white people. So to it's, it's annoying when people move the conversation that direction. Like why does... Yeah. The phrase black on black crime should not be a thing in the same way that no one ever mentions white on white crime. Right. Yeah. So the point is not necessarily, the point is not necessarily how much of it is happening. It's, it's how much of this is happening and they're not being justice for the other side. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much what I had written down. Oh, I think uh, almost one more thing that I really wanted to get into that was, um, or at least that's not like a, a super deep subject, but I just think the last thing we're starting to see more today is what's what I call weaponized racism. You know, mm-hmm. and that was, I think her name was Amy Cooper, was a woman who was walking her dog. You know, she was walking her dog in a place where dogs were supposed to be leashed, right? And I think they said this man, this black man who was, he was just out there bird watching, began to ask her to just put her dog back on the leash, like very calmly. And she started, you know, she started screaming and just throwing out this. And she said, I'm going to call the police right now and tell them that a black man is certain. And that goes to show that she's thought about it. She's weapon, she's just weaponizing the advantage that she has now. She knows that law enforcement is going to come see this 
this massive man, you know, quote unquote, oppressing the small, tender, little white Caucasian woman. And she knows that it's more likely going to be in her favor. And I'm just saying, like, knowing that, for me personally, that's scary. Because that's something that could happen to me, too. You know? And if if he didn't have his phone out, you know, what would have happened? If he wasn't recording yet. You know? So that's pretty much, uh, that's pretty much what I have written down. And there's probably, there's definitely yeah. loads more that I could bring up yeah. at another time. But... Those are some of the major things that have been on my heart recently. And I appreciate you guys sitting here and listening. So if you guys have any questions for me that you think I might be able to shed some light on, I'd love nothing more than to go into those things. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to bring up was, um, do you think that the white privilege problem and stuff like that is more so with an older generation, or do you still see it prominent in people around our age? I... I think it's definitely prominent in people our age, you know, because I'm being like a very good example is like a lot of the times, you know, people don't, I don't know. I don't know how many of you guys realize this. I don't know how many people realize this, but like me, my other black friends, especially who are, who are male. Most of the time we've been sat down by our parents and had it explained to us that, you know, if we leave the house at certain times or if we get pulled over by the police, they're trying to explain to us how to not get killed Mm. a lot of times. A lot of times my dad has issues with me being out late and, you know, it's, it's frustrating for me because, you know, I'm, I oftentimes forget where I stand in the position with the world politically. And I, I don't, it doesn't really occur to me sometimes that like, if I, if I look at a police officer the wrong way, if I get pulled over, that could really be the end for me. Whereas that may not be the reality for people who have different skin colors, you know? And so I think it's definitely, definitely prevalent now because I think a lot of my, a lot of my white friends are able to go about the day without really thinking about that sort of thing. And I think that is a privilege. Another thing is, during all of this, what is a solution or something change that you want to see the most? Um, you know, that's a good question because I've already been seeing, I've been seeing a lot of change, you know. Like something that something that I've been very impressed to see is that it's not just a it's not just a local problem. Like it's not just people concerned locally; it's people all over the world concerned, and people of of all the different skin colors concerned. But um, I think what I'd like to see is less of a. I think I'd like to see more initiative being taken from people in my closer circles. You know, like a lot of people have texted me saying, um, "It'll be like so." A lot of people have been talking to them about how like, if you're not posting anything on social media or if you're not, you know, if you're not posting all these resources on social media, you're, you're like, you're not for the cause or you're racist. And I'm saying, I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. I don't think anybody's really saying that to you. I think what people are really saying is like, how can you sit here and be silent and continue about your day business as business as usual, mm-hmm. knowing that this is happening, being friends with a person of color. So I think something that I'd like to see more often is people texting me saying, okay, I feel uncomfortable posting on my social media. What are other ways that I can help? What are other ways that I can show that I support? For most people, it seems to me, are just more quickly offended rather than trying to be part of the progression. So I think what people can do is just more taking initiative and asking. If you're unsure of ways to help, 
educate yourself on ways to help. There's plenty of people who are willing to talk to you and have that conversation with you, just as I'm doing right now. I just want more people to ask questions. My first entry into this topic happened with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. We can talk about that forever, but just the idea of four years ago when that happened, I reacted negatively to it. I said, what are you doing? You're disrespecting blah, blah, blah. Like that was my initial reaction, and I posted it on Facebook. At the time, I lived with two black men around my age, and... I got home later that day, or maybe it was the next day, and they both were like, we need to talk about this. And, you know, because I was coming at it from my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own opinions, I didn't ask questions. Um, and they did sit and ask me about why did I feel that way? What was my reaction? Did I think about him at all? Did I think about everything else around it and I didn't and it came from them sitting me down and saying you aren't trying to listen you aren't trying to put yourself in his position and see what is going on with him before you make your own assumptions and conclusions and I think that's still a large part of the problem even though we're having all these conversations and even though as I initiate a lot of these conversations on social media and whatever there are a lot of times where if somebody offers a differing opinion I'm not listening because I'm so caught up in what I am saying like I know what I'm saying is right so I need to make sure people hear it and if somebody brings up a counter argument then they're just wrong so I have to show them why they're wrong do I believe that still? Yes. That doesn't give me reason to treat them like they're wrong. I should be slowing down and asking, where is your side coming from? What has your life looked like that has led you to get to this opinion? When you share this statistic, when you share this quote, when you share this story, what in your life is helping is being helped by you doing that like i i was told about the story of a uh, black traveling musician in the 80s i want to say who ended up becoming best friends with one of the heads of the kkk because he he didn't go after him of you're a terrible person and I'm going to attack you and go at you. He came at it from a place of being genuinely like, I want to know why you have these opinions. I want to know why you feel like black people are a lesser race. I want. I saw that ten times. It's if yeah. you have not seen it, look it up. Look up black man KKK. <laughs> And it's, his name is Daryl Davies. It's an 18-and-a-half-minute TED Talk. It goes by in two minutes because he is a great storyteller. And you are just enthralled the entire time. At the end, they are best friends. At the end, they still disagree wholeheartedly with their worldview. But right. They both, they both had the patience to sit 
the respect to listen and ask questions and still at the end of the day disagree significantly about what is right but we're willing to hear each other out and that's something like that super convicting to me this morning because i have had negative reactions to other people who have not who have brought up point of views outside of mine and even if i'm unconvinced by it that doesn't mean I shouldn't try to understand where that is coming from. And that is something that I know I can for sure improve on and be better at moving forward. Um, I think he even said, um, I think the man even said, like the like that KKK lady said, I actually have more respect for you than I do for some of the, some of the other people mm-hmm. that he knew, like some of the other white people that he knew, because like, he was able to sit down and not be disrespectful yeah. and have that conversation. Not saying he should be part of the KKK still, but <laughs> no. I just think that it's 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 incredible that they could even listen to each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's an example of the type of way that people should be able to listen to listen to each other. And I think that's where that lived experiences thing matters, because you talk about right. having to be taught at a young age. If you are approached by a cop, this is how you need to behave. And so you genuinely have this thought in the back of your mind of if I do not behave in a very specific manner, this cop could kill me. And that's maybe, even if you do comply. So sometimes it's over the years. So like do you in that situation, should that happen I don't want to put you on the spot, you don't have to tell a story if you don't want to. Have you ever been in that situation? So luckily for me, God has blessed me to not actually have ever been pulled over. But I have definitely had situations where I know I'm driving a little bit later than I really should be. And I'll see a police officer. This has happened more than once. I'll see a police officer driving behind me and my head just makes this, this process. I'm like, okay, there's a police officer behind me. You know, just, you're not doing anything wrong. Just keep driving as normal. And then I'll make a right. And I'll notice he made a right. Yeah. And I'll make a left. And I'll notice that he made a left. And I take the shot that's a little bit different. I notice he's still behind me. I've had moments in my head where I'm just like, my heart's actually pounding now. I'm like, what if this escalates into that situation? And, you know? and that's the difference is you, as you're doing that, you are fearing for your life. That's what it is. That happens to, like, I've been pulled over by cops multiple times. I have feared how expensive that ticket's going to be. Mm. Like, that's that's my biggest fear when I have a cop show up behind me. At no point have I ever seen a cop behind me and gone, oh, crap, I need to make sure that I don't die. That has never entered my thought process. Mm. Right? And that's the difference because of the experiences of the people around us. Because I know so many people who have had negative experiences with cops negative experiences with white people like i know i've heard enough stories from black people to know that they have to go about life differently i posted on instagram yesterday king bash telling like he went on a long uh thing about it and specifically told the story of being in the car with a white friend and getting pulled over and the white friend reacting like throwing his hands around just being in this place of being really upset and just like 
overly reacting to like, I can't believe this cop is about to pull me over right now. This is insane. He's doing this. And, King Batch and that's is like, something we could never do. King Batch is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You're gonna, what are you doing? Like, you can't do that. He's like, put your hands on the wheel, man. And then he realizes I, he, he's white. He doesn't know better. He, he doesn't need to know better because this isn't right. There's no chance that this ends poorly for him. But if I started doing that, and so it's like the, I think it's really interesting to ask, like, and I mean, I can ask this of you right now. Do you think that all of this has come to a head right now because of police brutality? Do you think the protests are all encompassingly about police brutality or are they about something bigger than just Police brutality. I think it, I think it's a I think it's a component under a large umbrella. No. You know, I think obviously racism has been the thing that stems from slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes down to that, and there not being a lot of reparations for that. But police brutality is is a very major part of it as well. It's the fact that it has happened so repetitively, so consistently, and has become a culture. Oh, it's become it's become it's become part of our protocol now. You know, like like I said, back to the topic about driving. Like I like I have been instructed by my dad to, if you have a black wallet, have it already out. Yeah. Like I do I do not drive with my wallet in my pocket because if I have to reach down and they see something that's even slightly black, I'm in trouble. Yep. You know, I have my wallet out. I have my driver's license ready. You know. Um, you ask for permission to reach for things. That's what I've been told. Yeah. You know, and also it's, it's a different thing. I have to think about, I have to think about my size too. I have to think about how my voice sounds because I have a deeper voice than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a large individual. Right. Um, and so I think, I think this all stems from the fact that we have, like we as black people have had to change. We have had to adapt to, to the white authority. We have had to adapt our way of living in order to coincide with what this country wants us to be. I think this is, I think this all stems from the fact that it's just that, from just that, you know, that we're being the ones who are being forced to make the changes when the world will not change. So I think you said you were, feel like you've covered most of what most things yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to I mean obviously you don't have to is there anything if somebody has listened and gotten this far is there anything where like you want to say just like in conclusion this is what I want people to hear to listen to to think about as they move forward while all of this is happening and moving forward with the rest of their lives and how society is going to play out moving forward. Like what is, what is your concluding thought to say, this is, this is what I want you to walk away from thinking about and maybe doing differently. One thing I think I, I, that I think people really need to do is to take a step back and really ask yourself, I think it's to really ask yourself, you know, um, what is that I'm, what are my opinions? And I need to listen more. I need, I need to, I think the thing that people need to do is they need to understand that they need to learn. 
You know, I think people need to take a step back and just ask people questions and really understand where they're coming from before making their own assumptions. You know, everybody's going to have their opinions, but you need to understand, you need to be able to back your opinion and know that you're on the right side of history. You know, I think people need to really take a second and just focus in on the issue that is greater than themselves. You know, because like I said, people are people are almost just getting defensive because they don't want their personality to be attacked. But you are, you yourself are not the, are like, your reputation is not the issue right now. It's are you going to support these people who are struggling and do you really want to help progress the country into an era of peace? Do you really want to help us push this problem out of here? Are you going to be a part of the problem? Or are you going to be part of the solution? People need to, if, if there's going to be one thing that anybody needs to take from this, listen to others and listen to their experiences and try to understand where people are coming from before you make your own decisions. Well, thank you for that. I think this is a good just ending point for the episode on the whole. We can just keep it to, to having covered that topic for today. Um, maybe we can come back. We can have a second conversation about this um, in the future, or we can just reconvene the four of us and have a slightly more lighthearted conversation. Um, but we thank you listening for sticking around and hearing. Thank you, Khalil, for engaging and leading discussion and having being willing to have your voice heard. That is something that is hard to do sometimes. And so we appreciate you for stepping up and doing that. Um, Thank you for the platform. Yeah. Jake, you want to take us out? Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. I know that sometimes it's kind of hard to get down and deep, but it's kind of what we do here sometimes. Um, yeah. Uh, follow us on our social media platforms at F-R-O-M-B-O-B-S-F-F-O-F. O-F-F-I-C-E. I don't know what I just tried to spell, but it wasn't from Bob's office. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, we'll be back here soon. I'm Jake Mathis. I'm Jacob Bomber. I'm Khalil Mead. And I'm Ian Silva. Have a great day.